grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, we're continuing our journey through the great love chapter, chapter 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, we started off last week by talking about summarizing Paul's words there, basically in this little equation, everything minus love equals nothing. It's kind of the whole theme of the, the, whole, the whole chapter there. And St. Paul said these words. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, he said, I am nothing. I gain nothing. Everything minus love equals nothing. Now, if we could say those words in the parlance of our times, it might sound something like this. If I tweet like Justin Bieber and have more Instagram followers than Taylor Swift but do not love, I am not linked in to God. If I get a BA from USC, Marco, and an MBA from UCLA and an IPA from Chapman Crafted but I do not have love, I have only pieces of paper in pretty frames. If I drive a Tesla and save the climate, if I create a startup valued at $1 billion, if I am written up in Forbes and Warren Buffett asks for my advice, if I get my kids into Harvard without even bribing anyone, if, if I have more wins than the U.S. women's soccer team, if I outbrand Kim Kardashian, outsing Lady Gaga, but do not have love, I am as yesterday as MySpace. All right. <laughs> the single purpose of our life that's in the parlance of our times, right, if we were going to write it today. But the single purpose, Paul is saying, is the purpose of our life is to become a more thoroughly loving person, rooted in the care of God, the love of God through our friend, our brother, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And the purpose of the church is for us to be a community of that very divine love. Love is what matters. We had another equation last week that said love plus nothing equals everything. We talked about it as love being the most excellent way, right? That's what St. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. He says, I will show you, not the positive, not the comparative, but the superlative, right? The most excellent way. And the most excellent way is love. And we talked about the twofold nature of what that love looks like. First, it's God loving us, and second, it's us loving each other. 1 John 4 verse 10 says, this is love, right? We're not making this up. The Bible says it. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the first part of the love, the most excellent way. Being loved by God and then we loving each other. Verse 11, dear friends, John says, since God so loved us. Right? That's causation. That's the power. That's the source. That's how we are able to love each other. Since God has loved us in this way, we also ought to. We are called to. We are made for this. We ought to love one another. And so we had two homework assignments from last week, and some of you told me about it. How did your homework go? If you remember, our homework was to take some baby steps in the excellent way of love, right? And the first thing you were supposed to do is one, identify one positive characteristic about yourself. Thank God for creating you that way, loving you that way, focusing on his love for you, okay? And then the other homework assignment was to identify one positive characteristic about someone in your life and tell them about it. How many of you guys did that? Anybody out there? Come on, really? All right. How many of you are going to do it this afternoon, okay? All right. Sunday doesn't end until this evening, okay? How many of you are going to do it this afternoon, Oh, come on. Seriously? I'm glad I'm not a teacher. All right. 
One positive characteristic about someone in your life, and I had many people actually come up to me and talk to me about it this week. I heard stories of kids telling their parents a positive thing, spouse to spouse, parents telling their kids, and even my own personal life had some great moments of uh, maybe some tears shed and some hugs were had because of we sharing love with each other, speaking into each other's life positive words of encouragement. So we're going to continue that journey of love the most excellent way today. And I wanted to bring up something by a guy named Dallas Willard. I don't know if you've heard of him before. He's kind of a Christian uh, philosopher sort of guy. He was up at USC, kind of a spiritual director. Um, And good man, good leader. Uh, And he asked the question of one of his, like, mentees, one of his disciples, you might say. Uh, A guy named Bill lives down in South County. And he said, if you had one word to describe Jesus, what would it be? That's a pretty good question. If we had one word to describe Jesus, what would it be? Would it be love? Would it be Lord? Would it be king? Would it be healer? Would it be compassionate? Would it be holy, risen, omniscient? Well, this guy, this guy Bill, asked Dallas Willard back. He said, well, what one word would you describe Jesus with? Dallas Willard, Christian philosopher, spiritual director, answered in this one word. He said, relaxed. Relaxed. That sounds kind of weird, right? Relaxed? Doesn't sound religious enough for us, right? Doesn't sound creedal enough for us. Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried, and was relaxed, right? (laughs) It doesn't seem right to us. But if Dallas Willard said it, maybe we should consider it. And it got me thinking that sometimes we've got to get out of our religious language to see God and Jesus in a fresh way. Relaxed. You see, from 12 years old, 12 years old, Jesus was in the temple, right? In the temple, uh, Jesus said, I have to be about my father's business. But then for the next 18 years of his life, he just lived a normal life. He's hammering away as a carpenter, sort of just patiently waiting till the time came. And then he finally started his ministry when he was 30 years old. John the Baptist, his cousin, had a big old launch. He's baptized. The, uh, the Holy Spirit comes on down, the voice of the Heavenly Father. And the first thing he does is he goes off the grid. 40 days in the desert, relaxed. His first sermon is so radically inclusive of outsiders that they get up stones. They want to kill him. But he just passed through their midst, relaxed. He's in Samaria. He's talking to a woman at a well. No rabbi would ever talk to a woman at a well, let alone a Samaritan. But there he is, talking in conversation with a daughter of God created in the image of God, relaxed. He's in a boat in a huge storm. He's taking a nap. His disciples are freaked out. They think they're going to die. They say, don't you care? He's calm. He's relaxed. And we see repeatedly that his disciples, his disciples, they didn't get it. And if you're a leader and you have an urgent movement and you've got to get something done, which Jesus was, the last quality you want in your followers and your disciples is slowness, right? But Jesus picked them. And you never see in the Gospels Jesus talking about his disciples and say, you know what, disciples? You're not good enough. I'm going to swap you out with more productive, faster, better employees. Because he was teaching us tangibly about love. What is love? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Paul says it this way. He says, love is patient. Dallas Willard would say love is Relaxed. Because we hear that word patient, and sometimes we think of sort of, Lord God, you better give me patience. Heavenly Father, give me patience to deal with this jerk in front of me. I'm going to go off on him. If you don't give me patience, Lord, 
Sometimes we kind of view patience that way, right? Jesus wasn't like that, right? He wasn't uptight. He wasn't stressed out. He wasn't hot-tempered. He wasn't mercurial. His disciples never said, watch out for Jesus today, right? He, got, he may have gotten up on the wrong side of the bed, I think. Jesus was the most relaxed persons the disciple that ever encountered, not because he lived in an easy time or a safe time or a secure time, but because love is patient. And patience is something we struggle with, right? I mean, when Christians are surveyed about spiritual gifts, patience is always up on the top of the one they struggle with the most. And patience, though, in the Bible, it's not some sort of passive, lacking urgency, tolerating decline sort of thing. Patience is the ability to live gladly in the present moment when we would prefer not to. You see, patience is often translated long-suffering. You may see that in other versions of the Bible there. Patience translated long-suffering because it means that love, love has the ability to suffer through difficulty for a long time and not stop loving. But we have a hard time with patience, right? Anybody else out there have a hard time with patience? All right. I have a hard time with being patient. And we live in a culture that has technology. We have fast food. I mean, now we, we have to order the food on the app because we can't wait in line at the fast food place, right? I mean, fast food, speed dating, self-checkout, overnight shipping, instant messaging. We want it now. But love is patient. So I've put together this little uh, prayer. I mean, I just printed it in there. Get your handout out if you have it there. I know it's small print. I can barely read it. But it's an awesome little prayer. It's pretty long, but since we're talking about patience, I think we can, we can get through it. It's kind of a poem, really a psalm, sort of written by a priest named Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. I'm not good with French, but there it is. I want to read through. It's powerful. And maybe one of the things you can do is take this prayer, pray it every day this week. Uh, it talks a lot about patience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through it, pray through it with you. Above all, Trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. Yes, it is the law of all progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability. And that may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Do not try to force them on as though you could be today. What time, that is to say, grace and circumstances, acting on your own goodwill will make you tomorrow. Only God could say what this due spirit gradually forming in you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you, and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Above all, trust in the slow work of God, our loving vine dresser. Amen. I read this through many times this past week, and maybe the first time you only got a few things, but I pray that you will read it through many times. It's prayer about patience, about trust. It's powerful. It's a poem, almost a psalm, you could say. 
But as Pierre wrote in this prayer, God wants to grow and increase patience in us, or as Dallas Willard would say, to be relaxed. Now, sometimes God will teach us patience by giving us something to be patient about, right? The silver-lipped pearl oyster is known for pearl-making, obviously, and one of them produced a pearl that was uh, $1.5 million someone paid for this thing. And sometimes people say that it'll take uh, 20 years, up to 20 years to make a pearl. And they say that an oyster needs two things to make a pearl. It needs one, an irritant, and it needs time. The oyster has to find a way to cope with the irritant and yet flourish at the same time. And so the oyster gives a little bit of what of itself, actually. It gives what it would make the shell with to the irritant. A little bit, a layer. Year after year, day after day, layer after layer, thousands of layers later, it makes a beautiful, lustrous, iridescent pearl. To produce patience in our lives, we need those two things, an irritant and time. And sometimes God will give you both of those, right? In fact, many of you in the room, you might be sitting next to your irritant right now. If you don't have an irritant, you just call us down at the church office. We have a list of them for you. <laughs> just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking, sort of. Um, but all joking aside, I just talked to a friend of mine this past week, and uh, something unloving was done in her life 20-plus years ago. And it's taken 20-plus years, more than two decades, to have it redeemed and reshaped and reformed into something beautiful. Love is patient. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Those are the two aspects, the positive aspects of love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. Later on, he goes on to list all the love in the negative way. We'll give that later on in the sermon series. But love is patient. That's the first part. That's the passive side. That's the long-suffering side. That's the waiting side. That's the relaxed side in the midst of life. But love is kind, that's the active side of love. And if you look at the life of King David, you see both of those things sort of happening, right? If you remember King David, he was anointed as king at a very young age. But he had to wait year after year after year, patience, relaxed. He endured that crazy King David. King David was insanely jealous and he wanted to kill David. Yet David learned patience from his irritant Saul. And then many years later, after he was king and Saul had died, he still wished to honor the house of Saul and his son Jonathan. He said these words, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. He said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Love is patient. Love is kind. Show kindness for Jonathan's sake. That's our question for this week. That's our homework assignment for this week. Who can I show kindness to? And you can do that. Every one of us can do that in the room. You don't have to have a resume. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have education. You don't have a certain set of skills. Every one of us can show kindness this week. The only thing that you need in order to show kindness is that you have to have experienced kindness in your life before. First John 4, verse 10, this is kind of a theme coming through our sermon series. This is love, Right? Not that we loved God, but that God had loved us and sent us his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. St. Paul talks about this love in Titus. 
He says this. He says, when the kindness, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. St. Paul said, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. John says in verse 11, he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, since he's loved us in this way, this radical way, he's called us his children, he sent his son Jesus, we have an inheritance, we have a place, we have an identity. There is kindness being shown to us in, in Jesus through God our Father. Since God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so let's do that this week. Let's love one another with patience and kindness. Let's have some homework this week, all right? The homework is patience and kindness, all right? And we're going to take baby steps and do it. Maybe you can demonstrate patience in your life or bring patience in your life by slowing down somehow, all right? Maybe some of you, you can drive the speed limit this week. Maybe for 15 minutes, drive the speed limit. Slow down. Do it with joy. Smile. Maybe listen to your Bible app while you're doing it. Maybe some of you Californians out there can actually stop at a stop sign, right? I'm going to challenge you just to count to one, one one thousand. That's a long time at a stop sign. You can do it up at the two if you, if, if you want to go big. But maybe this service, maybe like right after we end church today, we can demonstrate a little bit of patience. Maybe not get your beeline out to the donuts right away, but maybe linger around a little bit. Maybe make your way over to the courtyard. Maybe go over and say goodbye to Pastor Nathan and his family. Maybe talk with some other people. Relax and slow down and be patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. How is it that you can show kindness this week to someone? One of the ways we show kindness to people is that we actually notice, right? We notice people in our midst. It's only patient people that actually really notice other people, right? Because when you're so busy and when you're so hurried and you're going from one thing to the next, you don't even notice people around you, right? Relaxed people, they look. They look at other people. Hurried people, they kind of overlook others, right? And Jesus, he was relaxed. He was patient. He looked at people and he noticed. He noticed a tax collector named Zacchaeus sitting up in a tree. He noticed a man born blind from birth that everyone overlooked. He noticed a sick woman in a huge crowd who touched the hem of his garment because she wanted healing. He noticed the little children who society overlooked. Jesus was the great noticer of humanity. Love is patient. Love is kind. And so this week, this week, let's challenge ourselves to slow down. Let's be kind. Let's notice each other. And let's really try to notice those who need to be noticed. You know what I'm talking about? There are people in your life, and they need to be noticed. And I'm telling you, it works. I mean, it could be, it could be anybody. I mean, I was at the grocery store the other day, and sometimes... When I'm at the grocery store, I'm a hurried jerk, you know? I'm, like, texting people. I'm in the line. I'm talking to someone. I just don't even pay attention to the, the clerk. The other day, I was at the grocery store, and I noticed the checker. I didn't have my phone on. I wouldn't know I was talking to. I noticed the checker was tired, maybe having a bad day. Something was going on, right? So I looked her in the eye, and I said, hello. And I said, hey, how are you, how are you doing today? And it was like a, flip, a switch flipped in her. She was tired, she said. She had a long night, probably some other stuff that she couldn't share in the checker line. 
But I think just the fact that someone noticed, just the fact that someone asked, made a difference in her smile, her demeanor, hopefully in her life. I said, I hope you have a, have a great day. I hope you have a better day. And she said, yeah, thanks, you too. And she, we went away with smiles. Small little baby step. Noticing, showing kindness. That's what we're talking about through this series this summer. Love is the most excellent way, right? Love is patient. Love is relaxed. Love is kind. Love slows down. Love notices. Love is the most excellent way way.